Welcome to Interviews for Resistance. We are now several months into the Trump administration, and activists have scored some important victories in those months. Yet there's always more to be done, and for many people, the question of where to focus and how to help remains. In this series, we talk with organizers, agitators, and educators, not only about how to resist, but how to build a better world. I'm Sarah Jaffe, your host. This is Joe Dink, a National Campaigns and Communications Director of the Working Families Party. Always a pleasure to talk to you, Sarah. We're now like a week out from the elections, and um, it was a pretty good night. Who knew? Yeah. Um, I think it was, you know, it's being widely seen in the media as a good night for Democrats. Uh, but I think there's a more interesting thing than that going on. I think it was beyond that a good night for progressives. Um, yeah. Uh, and that's true in Virginia, and it's true in the municipal races that were unfolding around the country. Um, I think the story out of Virginia that everybody was reading about was the governor's race. And, right. you know, it's a good thing that Northam defeated Gillespie. Um, Gillespie right. would have meant terrible things for access to health care and for the rights of immigrants and for voting rights and Every all, all manner of, of of Trumpism that would have befallen Virginia if, if he had been elected, um, and so Northam, you know, that's a to me that's harm mitigation. Um, right. But I think the down ballot, what we saw was, um, you know, Democrats picked up something like 15 seats in the House of Delegates. I think the uh, most of the um, sort of Democratic Party operatives were expecting to pick up more like three to five or three to six seats. And the candidates that actually won in some of the toughest districts, in some of the more kind of uphill Republican-leaning districts, were some of the most progressive candidates running, were people like um, Hala Ayala and Elizabeth Guzman, who were the first two Latina candidates uh, to be elected to the state legislature in Virginia, included um, Danica Rome, the first trans candidate, included Lee Carter, a uh, Democratic Socialist, and member of BSA, and all of those candidates were, you know, running as sort of bolstered and bold progressives, and um, I think it blows up this prevalent myth in the Democratic Party that the way to win swing districts is with these boring, moderate, uninspiring, you know, white men generally, who run these cautious campaigns where they try really hard not to offend anyone. You know, these candidates in in some of the swingiest races in Virginia who won um, were candidates running really as full-throated progressives, and they were a diverse slate um, and really showed that, uh, you know, blowing up that idea in the Democratic Party um, and, and proving that you actually, there's an, at least, at the very least, another way to win, which is having sort of a progressive vision and actually inspiring people with the change that you want to make in their lives and telling them how you're going to do that. Um, and this wasn't just Virginia. Uh, around the country, there were municipal races. Um, you know, the Working Families Party in total endorsed a thousand candidates in, in 2017, um, over a thousand. And around the country, we were seeing a, a kind of new crop of movement progressive candidates, you know, sort of picking up the mantle uh, to run for local office and winning. And these are a lot of candidates who you know, are not out of the traditional structures of the Democratic Party, but whose backgrounds are often in, you know, union organizing or in community organizing groups or in social movements. And that kind of candidate was 
running on these very bold and transformative visions in a lot of cases and being rewarded by the voters for it. Um, and I could tell you, you know, a dozen stories of, of some of the most interesting ones if you want. Yeah, well, talk about a little bit before we get into some specifics about, so the Working Families Party, for people who are not familiar with your work before the last couple of years, um, really got started in just a couple of states. So talk about how you've spread out into places like Virginia and Alabama and whatever. And sure. Yeah, talk a little sure. bit about that. So, yeah, we, you know, the Working Families Party was founded in uh, 1998 as a kind of reaction to the Bill Clinton era DLC wing of the Democratic Party, which was, you know, a Democratic Party um, that would, you know, pass welfare reform and NAFTA that we saw as chasing um, chasing money on Wall Street and in, in Silicon Valley uh, and, you know, seeing that as, uh, you know, uh, the the way to win by raising Republican sources of money or what had been traditionally Republican sources of money to be able to compete with Republicans on a financially equal footing and doing so, you know, abandoning to a lesser or greater extent the issues of the labor movement and of the civil rights movement and of the feminist movement and the environmentalist movement. And so the Working Families Party was founded as a way to have another political tool in the arsenal to force Democrats to actually listen to the to the progressive base. And, um, you know, we grew pretty slowly um, at first. New York and then Connecticut, you know, Oregon. You know, 2007 or 8, we really were still only in three or four states. Um, I think 2010 was, we saw saw the growth of the Tea Party, which, you know, in a sense, did what we wanted to be doing in reverse. Um, sort of totally changed our thinking about both the opportunities for us to grow and the need for us to grow at a much faster scale um, and even to be able to do that in states that where the election law didn't permit us to sort of operate as we traditionally had in a place like New York or Connecticut with the you know, cross-enforcement or fusion balloting system, which really only exists right. in, a, in a handful of states, um, and instead allowed us to sort of have a new conception of, of how to grow, and that mostly involved recruiting and training candidates and running them in Democratic primaries against more, um, uh, you know, conservative uh, conservative opponents. And then we had two other big sort of growth spurts in the past two years, one sort of through the, the Bernie movement. Uh, we were one of the first national organizations to be endorsing Bernie, and uh, I think out of the Bernie campaign came a lot of new interest and energy into growing local working families, party branches all around the country, and then Another in 2017, you know, sort of after the election of, of Donald Trump, um, I think we saw a new, you know, I think almost every organizing group and political organization left of center has seen new energy in 2017. But we've seen a growing number of people interested in a sort of more, you know, muscular vision of uh, inclusive, multiracial, progressive populism, and more people kind of coming up, coming up of the woodwork to, to try to, you know, prosecute their politics in a different way. Yeah, so talk a little bit about the the way that that's worked, right? Because you're coming into places where you don't have the same kind of on-the-ground base that you've built over the years in somewhere like New York. So sure. what's it been like working in some place like Alabama or Mississippi? Yeah, so we, um, in 2017, um, 
those thousand candidates cover, you know, more than 20, I think 24 states. Um, and, you know, at this point we have a membership everywhere. We have state chapters that are, you know, chartered and recognized by our national body in, I think, 15 states, but a membership everywhere. But so what we did in a place like, um, you know, the mayor's race in Jackson, Mississippi for Chauvet Lumumba or in Birmingham, Alabama, um, definitely it looks pretty different than how we might have existed in, in a place like New York where we built this base kind of starting from uh, a handful of progressive unions and community organizations. The labor movement in a place like Mississippi or Alabama is just so much weaker that there's much less of a base to start from. But we do have this, you know, sort of national membership that engages with us primarily online. Um, and what we were able to do was work with the campaigns, you know, with um, Lumumba's campaign in Jackson and with Woodfin's campaign in Birmingham to figure out how we could be most helpful. And that included, you know, mobilizing the local volunteers we had to kind of get activated in the campaign. That included creating some um, national systems of support, including national phone banking and national texting teams that volunteers from anywhere could participate in. And it sort of varied from campaign to campaign. So um, in the case of, uh, you know, the, the, the Lumumba race in Jackson, we were able to sort of um, embed some experienced field operatives to help provide kind of training and volunteer mobilization locally. In the case of Woodfin, you know, the campaign looked pretty different. But we've been, I think one thing that has been a strength of ours is having the kind of electoral and political experience and sophistication and then being able to lend that in a whole variety of different ways to campaigns um, to, to help, you know, the good guys win. How about a change from the sort of fusion strategy in New York when you're working in places that don't have a working families party ballot line? Yeah, you know, the ballot line is definitely a valuable, you know, piece of real estate if you think about it one way because it instantly makes you um, relevant in every election. Um, and, you know, in the places where we have ballot lines, we definitely have, uh, uh, you know, there's more like um, an ability and an obligation to get involved in many more races because you're on the ballot. If you're on the ballot statewide, it's sort of like easier to have to, you know, you're, it's, you're, it's, you're more compelled to have to make a choice in every instance. In a place like, you know, Alabama, there's actually only one race we endorsed in this year. We didn't have, you know, dozens of candidates all across Alabama. We had one, and we had the mayor's race, and we were very enthusiastic about that, and we pushed all the energy that we could into that race, but we, it wasn't sort of at the same scale as in a place like New York or Connecticut where we've, where we've existed for longer. So one of the big questions that people are asking right now is, you know, it's often framed as like a fight for the soul of the Democratic Party, whatever that means, um, or... You know, I was thinking of it when you were saying progressives as even a fight over, like, what is a progressive? And in the post-Bernie Sanders moment, it keeps getting framed as being about Bernie Sanders in a way that um, I think sort of forecloses an understanding of what's going on in the ground in different places. Sure. But so I guess what is the Working Families Party's role in this moment in that in these kinds of struggles that are happening yeah um that's a good question i think you're right that this um sort of progressive phenomenon has 
um, manifested in a lot of different ways in different parts of the country. Not just Bernie, but Bernie is definitely a piece of it, and Bernie sort of brought it to the national stage. But there are local groups around the country that are that are kind of pushing the bounds and changing the changing the dialogue. And what Bernie accomplished is he uh, revealed that there was sort of a deep well of both voter support and kind of mobilized volunteer energy behind um, a, a sort of a much bolder set of, uh, you know, especially on kind of an economic justice agenda, a more bolder set of kind of economic policies than had been considered in the mainstream of political dialogue. But look, I think around the world, the kind of neoliberal um, consensus of the last 30 years is atrophying as people see that it's not working. Um, it's not lifting standards for most people, um, and especially in the years since the um, 2008 financial collapse that hit America and, frankly, hit a lot of parts of the world harder than America, um, we're seeing uh, an international phenomenon of uh, both rise of a kind of scary, actually very scary, ethno-nationalist right and a new set of energy behind a kind of bold and, you know, social democratic, uh, you know, populist uh, left. And, you know, we see ourselves as part of that movement. And I think what we bring in particular is a, is the um, tactical electoral skills that we can uh you know, pr- train candidates, recruit candidates, train campaign managers, provide resources to can- to, to campaigns, and, and help actually, like, the, the, you know, new social movements figure out how to actually win local office. Um, and, right. and that's, I think, a, a unique role for us, is to sort of bring, br- bridge the gap between the energy of social movements and the sort of, like, machinations of politics. Yeah. So I guess one of the other questions is, is, is you know, in the, the Working Families Party, again, operating with the sort of fusion strategy in New York, was was very clearly sort of trying to pull the Democratic Party left. Um, is that still where we're at? Is there room to talk about another party? You have some elected officials who are elected not on a Democratic Party ballot line, but on a Working Families Party ballot line. So sure. what's the role of that right now, do you think? Yeah, you know, I think we uh, engage with the world as it is, and the world as it is is a constantly changing thing. Um, we've definitely taken advantage of um, the ability to elect Working Families Party members in sort of partisan elections where we can um, in their own right, you know, two, two elected just recently um, this cycle in Connecticut, both in in the city of Hartford to the school board candidate kind of running against the um, charterize, charterization and school privatization movement that continues to sweep the country and ravage school systems, especially in communities of color. Um, and in Wyndham, Connecticut, for a Latina woman who was a major part of the push to um, uh, stop cooperation of uh, federal um law enforcement officials, stop cooperation between the city and federal immigration officials, basically, um, and, and protect immigrants. And, and she was uh, Rose Reyes, a Working Families Party member, and our candidate who was uh, 
part of that push actually defeated one of the votes on the town council who had been against it. Uh, so they won it, and then she ran against it. And so where we have the ability to elect people who are real movement leaders and, and part of our movement on our own ballot line, we're more than happy to do it. The election law um, in most places and the um, you know political dynamic in most parts of the country, we're not necessarily... Uh, you know, in, in most instances, it's, it's easier to elect somebody inside the context of a Democratic Party party primary. Mm-hmm. You know, sort of the same strategy that Bernie pursued, running inside the Democratic Party primary. Um, yeah. And, you know, we're flexible enough to pursue different opportunities. But for us, what's important is that we organize outside the Democratic Party um, and build our strength outside the Democratic Party. And then, you know, we see the, the party itself as a sort of battlefield between a variety of sets of constituencies and ideologies that we think we're um, sort of shifting the balance. Looking forward to 2018, what are you looking at? Are you looking at particular battleground spaces? Are you, you know, do you have your eye on any candidates? Yeah, well, I'll name, so I'll, I'll name one um, mm-hmm. who I think really exemplifies <laughs> what, what we want to be doing. Um, this cycle is uh, Randy Bryce, um, the Iron Stash. He's a Working Families Party member and union iron worker um, running against Paul Ryan in Wisconsin's first district. And, you know, he provides just the perfect contrast to Paul Ryan, where um, Paul Ryan wants to um, cut health care to give a giant tax break to, million, to billionaires. Randy Bryce wants to provide health care for all, create millions of jobs, rebuilding infrastructure and wants to pay for it by taxing the billionaires. Um, and the contrast is just perfect. And in a race that was not really seen as sort of one of the competitive races kind of on the radar of the, you know, uh, national political class, Randy has, you know, raised very serious money and incredible volunteer energy and enthusiasm and has now made the race competitive. He was just endorsed by Bernie Sanders. Um, and now even the DCCC is calling it a race to watch. Um so I think there's an opportunity for us to be um, identifying and supporting and recruiting candidates that really exemplify um, the kind of progressive, inclusive, populist policies that, that we want to see um, and, and showing that people running on that kind of vision are, are, are a lot more competitive than, than people might already think. You know, I can't uh, talk to you without asking the never-ending question back to New York and the fusion ballot line. If Andrew Cuomo runs again, what the hell happens? So there will be a, you know, Working Families Party state convention in, uh, you know, in, in New York sometime in June of next year. And, you know, there will be a lot of debate and discussion among people about, about what to do and how to handle it, um, what candidates are running. You know, I think uh, uh, it's obviously going to be a, you know, intense and, and deliberative debate. And I think people are going to want to figure out what is the best path to actually advance, you know, advance our worldview. I mean, I, th- I think what people who read about that might read about the 2014 New York situation might not know um, is that it actually was like a really contentious deliber- deliberative and democratic process where, you know, 200 members of the Working Families Party State Committee who are not, you know, political insiders of any stripe. These are you know, grassroots activists who carry petitions for Working Families Party candidates. That's usually the way that you get onto the state committee. Um, we're, we're taking a look at, you know, what 
they felt like it was a really tough choice between a candidate they saw who was exciting and embodied their values and a candidate who they disagreed with a lot but was the incumbent and likely winner and willing to, you know, make serious policy concessions. And I think, you know, between he, – he promised things like a $15 minimum wage and, and uh, hydrofracking. And, you know, though Andrew Cuomo renounced um, – you know, uh, any kind of promise he made to the Working Families Party, we also got those policies. And so I think people are going to try to figure out what what the uh, best way is to, to actually, you know, advance policies, and it'll depend on, you know, what, uh, what candidates are running. Yeah, that's actually reminded me of another question, which is, like, how has the structure of the party changed from – it's beginnings where it was very much, um, you know, built on the backs of, of unions and community organizations. How is that changing with a more national outlook? Yeah, you know, I would say we've uh, always wanted to have a healthy tension between the kind of weight and muscle of institutions and the kind of energy and idealism uh, and drive of individual activists. And I think as we've grown nationally, especially in places where the labor movement isn't as strong, you know, that balance can look a little bit different place to place. Um, and, you know, we're in a moment where the um, energy of individual activists is kind of at an all-time high. So I think you're seeing um, a lot more of that kind of come into the party, too. Yeah. So how can people who are all over the place become members of the Working Families Party, get you to get involved in local races there if you're not already? Yeah. And uh, find out more. So people can um, sign up uh, for our email list at workingfamilies.org. Um, if you want to be part of one of the national volunteer teams that supported candidates all across the country in 2017 that I mentioned, you can sign up to join one of our national volunteer teams at bit.ly slash WFP heroes, um, B-I-T dot L-Y slash capital W, capital F, capital P, capital H, WFP Heroes, um, and people who uh, want to um, think about getting involved or starting a local branch um, can, you know, reach out to us via email and, and ask about how to get started. Interviews for Resistance is a project of Sarah Jaffe with assistance from Laura Fayabois and support from the Nation Institute. You can find more information at necessarytrouble.org. Thanks for listening.